make yourself or your brand known, whether it's through content or, you know, an amazing blog or podcast. But the businesses that I see that have successful launches are those that have created their own audience of like-minded people that have an interest in what they're talking about and really carve that brand out as like the thought leader in the space before they even launch products. That's Ben Jabawi, the founder of Privy a suite of tools designed to help marketers and e-commerce businesses increase their marketing conversions. Ben has a background in industrial engineering, but moved into a few technical roles before really diving into startups. What Ben is talking about is how to build a brand in order to successfully launch a new business or product, a space around which Privy is focused on equipping entrepreneurs with the right tools to be successful. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share, and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Variano, and today we're speaking with Ben Jabawi, the founder of Privy, a suite of tools designed to help marketers and e-commerce businesses increase their marketing conversion. Ben joins us to share his story, how he got into startups, his advice for raising capital, how Privy has approached growing to over 250,000 users, and much more. So let's get started. Hey, Ben. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, Franco. Thanks for having me. No worries. Excited to have you on and to get to learn more about you and what you're up to. But before we dive into all that, can you tell us a bit more about yourself? Where are you from and what did you study? Absolutely. So my name is Ben and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. And in college, way back when, I studied industrial engineering at Cornell. That's really cool. So how did you go from industrial engineering into entrepreneurship? Yeah, great, great question. So I grew up in a family uh, that was full of entrepreneurs. You know, my grandfather owned a clothing store. My mom had her own business. My dad had his own business. So really, entrepreneurship was in my blood from an early age. And I always leaned technical, loved math and science. And so got into that in college. But while I was there, also really took some electives in entrepreneurship, just generally, and then as it related to engineering focused entrepreneurship, and to some degree kind of struggled to, to figure out exactly what I wanted to do for my first job after school, but realized, whereas a lot of my peers were going into investment banking, at the time, I, I really wanted to kind of carve my own way and look for an opportunity to join a technology driven company so that I could learn a lot in case someday down the road, I did end up wanting to start my own thing. So out of school, as you mentioned, how did you start your career? What were some of your first few professional roles? Yeah, so I uh, I had a family friend who had been successful starting some technology businesses in the energy space, like more clean energy oriented. And so the timing was right because I had interviewed with him. I actually interned with him over one summer and he was just about to start his next venture in the water space, uh, water treatment space. So he asked me to join full time. And so you know, I was basically there with him when it was just the two of us and the, the CTO of the company thinking about how to raise money for this venture all the way through a successful $10 million Series A raise and about 25 people in the company. So I really learned a lot about recruiting, building a company, technology development, 
fundraising, board management, all of that stuff. And over a three-year period, felt like as some of my own ideas were coming to life, that it was a good time for me to step out of the water company and focus on some of the stuff that had me more excited in the software space. That's really cool. And I'm guessing that would go on to become Privy? Jumped right into it. At the time, I didn't really know exactly what it was going to be or what it would be called, but just kind of had this idea that as more and more entrepreneurs were building their own websites, building audiences on Facebook and email marketing and all that, that there was going to be a need for more self-service tools on the marketing front. And that was kind of the original thesis of Privy. Very cool. So it sounds like there was some kind of period of discovery. What was that journey like for you? And what was the first version of Privy like? Yeah, totally. So at first, we were actually focused not on e-commerce. We were focused on retail and restaurants. So we wanted these business owners and marketers to be able to create promotions that would build an email relationship and then offer up a coupon or a promotion that we could use to track whether or not that customer actually used the offer. And so it was accomplishing a couple different things. One was just kind of a, a self-serve way to distribute the promotions you already run offline, but do that online while also building your customer list through email addresses and measuring the impact of your marketing campaigns. So those were a couple key tenets. And the first version was, you know, it was terrible. I'll never forget. You launch for your first handful of restaurants or retailers and you tell all your friends in the area to try to get them to download this thing and use it for you. But I'll never forget seeing it expand beyond the initial network into real high intent customers that were interested in the businesses using Privy. And, you know, that feeling of being able to help our users actually build meaningful relationships with customers was really the genesis of something much, much bigger. Yeah, absolutely. It's always super exciting and energizing to go beyond your own network and do that double take when a new user signs up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And one one of the things, I mean, we, like I said, we started in retail and restaurants. And what we realized over time was that with folks like Shopify and big commerce, there was kind of this mad rush into e-commerce related entrepreneurship. And the interesting differences between physical entrepreneurship where you have a storefront and a brick and mortar location versus online is the entrepreneur themselves is spending so much time, if you're an e-commerce entrepreneur, actually thinking about how to market your own business. So technology adoption within e-commerce, there's very little friction and there's fewer distractions. I mean, there's still a lot of distractions, but in terms of if you want to try a new technology, you're kind of sitting at your desk thinking about how to get more customers. So we had to compete a lot less with in e-commerce entrepreneurship as a way to grow that business than we were trying to do with a restaurant owner who is focused on the tables inside the restaurant. Yeah, that makes sense. And so expanding on that, how does Privy fit into an entrepreneur's, a marketer's, or even a store owner's toolbox? Why is it so important to their growth? What we continue to see time and time again is that most e-commerce sites will do the following, right? They'll spend a lot of time thinking about their marketing automation and their email nurturing. And maybe that happens inside of something like MailChimp or Rare or Clavio or whoever they use. And then on the other side of the coin, they spend a lot of time and money thinking about how to drive traffic to their site. 
maybe it's Facebook ads or Instagram ads and retargeting, whatever that is. But the major gap between that kind of funnel is that if you're driving all this traffic to your site and your average store converts to maybe 3% of traffic, that means 97% of the people that you're driving to your site are leaving without purchasing and you have no idea who they are. So outside of some light retargeting ads, there's no great tool that gives you more at-bats to building a relationship with those leads and moving them into those awesome funnels that you've spent time on. So that was really the evolution of Privy. We really honed in on that on-site conversion marketing space, especially when we saw the value of email marketing and e-commerce just continues to climb. And very few of the email companies that I mentioned or the many email companies in the space actually offer a first-class growth tool. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And so honing in on that product discovery while simultaneously seeing that value for e-commerce stores, Privy is now used by over 250,000 stores and marketers. So how did you guys approach that growth? What were some of the channels or tactics that you found to be the most effective? Yeah, yeah, good question. So it's funny. At first, we tried a direct sales model where we were, and I was, cold calling, cold emailing into leads and trying to get them to use our product for 12 months and just kind of wasn't working the way we wanted. And we saw other self-service tools, MailChimp specifically, were taking a very different approach, right? And so they would offer self-service onboarding where you could just sign up for a MailChimp account and start using it today with some light tutorials. This was about 2015. So we said, you know, forget direct sales. If someone wants to use our product, let's let them and let's try to show them value immediately without having to talk to someone here at Privy. So we spent some time building out a self-serve onboarding funnel and we didn't even have a pricing page on our site. So uh, really, you could just create an account for free and start using Privy today. And I'll never forget, you know, in the early days, we certainly like did a little bit of seeding communities, right, where you kind of mentioned to certain groups of users that you have a relationship with that this kind of free thing exists, feel free to use it, test it out, give us some feedback. And as soon as we opened that self-serve funnel, like the first month, I'll, I'll never forget, we got like 100 users. Next month was double that, 200. And it just kind of kept doubling from there. Fast forward a couple of years later, we're now at a point where we're adding over 500 sites a day that are through a self-service kind of freemium onboarding model, downloading the free version of the product. Wow, that's incredible. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. So along that journey to get to that point, what were some of the specific challenges you had to overcome? Yeah, so I think there's so many. When you have a broad base of users, even within the e-commerce vertical, we didn't expect that there would be such a wide range of types of sites that are adopting Privy. And what I mean by that is, you know, on a given day, we're going to have someone downloading our product and onboarding them to Privy that is just launching their Shopify store today. So brand new, has done no sales. And then on the other side of the coin, today we'll also have sites that are downloading Privy where there's a head of digital bank that is you know, seeing about a million visitors to their site every month or more, right? So there's a very wide range in the types of e-commerce sites adopting Privy. And what that means is as our user base has grown, it's become harder to 
make sure that we can onboard people along that spectrum properly, right? Because if you're just getting started with your first Shopify store, the things we want to teach you at a high level look very different than the more sophisticated functionality we want to use to educate some of the more advanced marketing and larger enterprises that use Privy. So that's certainly been a challenge. And then thinking about how to support such a quickly growing user base at scale is definitely something we're, we're constantly working on as well. So we offer free users live chat, and that's an amazing team we have here in Boston as well. And that's something that, you know, we've invested in documentation and guides and all of that, that enables us to support such a large, in many cases, free user base. But it's been an important part of our growth story because so many self-serve technologies come with live chat these days. And we've found that to be a real advantage for us, even as we scale. For sure. And so speaking about that investment in growing the team and being able to support users at both ends of the spectrum, Privy has raised over $4 million in funding. So what would be some of your advice to other entrepreneurs when it comes to raising venture funding? It's funny, I think a lot of that money we actually have not used, right? So we've got a great freemium model, a really high percentage of our users convert to paid and stick with us as they see more value. And um, I think the reason we, we raise money is so that we could proactively invest in product development and making sure that our product and the performance of our product really handles the scale that we now have. And so um, the money that we've raised historically has been about inorganically expanding the product team, as opposed to the way that a lot of kind of venture funded companies use money, which is mostly for sales and marketing. And I think there's a time and a place for both of these things. But for us, it's been really strategic to really focus on organic growth through product integrations and through a great product that adds value quickly, whether you are that small business or a more sophisticated marketer. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And so given your background and experience in business, flipping around to the other side of the table, what advice would you have to share with other entrepreneurs of all kinds who are just getting started? What should they focus on in your experience? So forgetting about Privy for a second, and whether you're an e-commerce entrepreneur or a software entrepreneur, it doesn't really matter. I think one of the things that I will always recommend now is that you should build your own audience before you're ever ready to launch. And so what I mean by that is, yeah, sure, it's awesome to have a, a huge email list, but I'm not really focused on that. What I mean is make yourself or your brand known, whether it's through content or you know, an amazing blog or podcast. But the businesses that I see that have successful launches are those that have created their own audience of like-minded people that have an interest in what they're talking about and really carve that brand out as like the thought leader in the space before they even launch products. Not everyone's has that ability to do that, but especially in e-commerce, if you are passionate about the product that you make, that's definitely something you can start doing even before you're ready to, to drive any sales or send out any emails. Definitely. And just pushing that a bit further, which I know might be a bit of a challenge to answer in just such a short response, but what's the best way of building a new brand? What are some of the tactics you've seen used to differentiate one brand from another? In some respects, the cost of launching an e-commerce site has gone down to you know zero or whatever Shopify costs for their basic plan. It's like 20 bucks a month, right? 
So I think as part of that, and with dropshipping, we've seen this massive kind of proliferation of small sites that are struggling to make it. And so I think that even though the cost of launching has gone down, the sites and the brands that we see growing very quickly or that are really thriving are those that spend the time on the visual components of marketing. And so what I mean by that is like on Instagram, like, are you really nailing your product photography? That makes a difference. Are you using video? Well, um, that makes a difference. And I think like if you pair that kind of digital display and the quality of those displays with an audience that you've been building, then that's where that's where these kind of small new brands can really thrive. That's very cool. And so keeping that in mind, as well as the growth you guys have seen over the years, what's next for you and Privy over the coming months? Yeah, there's tons. Um, I think for us, we really want to, we feel there's a long way to go on our core product to cement us as the leader in conversion marketing. I think that's a space that's going to continue to grow. And with the growth of our user base, that's awesome. But we want to make sure that it's not just use Privy to capture emails, it's use Privy to drive targeted upsells, to display welcome back campaigns and requests for reviews when we recognize visitors back on your site. There's a whole kind of suite of things we can be doing to drive engagement on your site, even after we help you capture leads. So you'll see a ton of expansion there. And especially around one case of card abandonment, that's a big area of focus for us. So, you know, I don't know how well versed you are in like, the difference between card abandonment and checkout abandonment, but I'll just kind of give a quick high level. The way that most email marketing platforms think about abandonment is what's described as checkout abandonment. And what that means is if a visitor is on your site and they add something to cart, they move to the checkout phase. And in the checkout, they've gotten far enough along in the checkout process to include their email address. And so the majority of folks who offer abandonment solutions are focused on checkout abandonment. That's awesome and hugely powerful. But if you think about the majority of visitors to your site that add product to cart and abandon, those are actually people that haven't gotten far enough in the checkout process to include their email address. And so we call that cart abandonment. That's kind of the distinction between cart versus checkout abandonment. And so we're working on a, a bunch of tools that we're not ready to talk about, but specific to giving you more at-bats on cart abandoners where you don't have the email address on record. Definitely. That's super powerful. We'll have to stay tuned and see all these amazing product updates roll out. Yeah, exactly. We're excited. So a little bit of product expansion for us as we continue to grow our user base. Awesome. So focusing more on the business or operational side, are there any resources that you keep coming back to and would recommend to others? Yeah. So I actually, I learn a lot about the industry from the Shopify entrepreneurship group on Facebook. There's about 80,000 members on there. Really, really good community. It's not just relevant to Shopify. I think it's very relevant to all e-commerce entrepreneurs. And there's really good discussions there. So I, I find myself engaging there quite a bit. There's a handful of e-commerce specific podcasts that uh, I, I recommend. One is called e-commerce fuel. So it's kind of like a level 201 subject matter where they're discussing amongst merchants that are doing kind of six figures or more uh, trends in the industry, things that are working. They feature different merchants or vendors that apply 
to kind of that next level of growth. And uh, I find that that's a great thing to listen to. Yeah, it's an awesome podcast. And we'll make sure we link to that and all the other resources you mentioned so that others can check them out. So on that note, do you have any final thoughts or words of advice to leave us with? For me, like so much of our growth has come from simplifying. And the way that we are able to simplify is by spending an insane amount of time with our customers, right? Talking to our customers. Even how I spend a lot of my time is in customer support chat. And I think the closer you are to your customer and, you know, really convince yourself that you talk to customers every single day, the more simple your path forward will be. And those conversations will illuminate where you really need to spend your time, whether that's from a sales and marketing perspective or from a product development perspective. And so that was something that I didn't really do early on enough. And as we've kind of course corrected around our access to customers, our freemium model, and making sure that every day we're talking to customers, it's just had a massive impact on our growth and business overall absolutely i couldn't think of a better way to end the episode ben thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today it was awesome to have you on yeah franco thanks a lot and i'm excited to listen in if you've enjoyed this podcast we'd love to hear about it and have you share with friends find us on facebook or twitter at hack to start or drop us an email pay at hack to start.com You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.